0: You guys, I am so thrilled today to be talking to my amazing friend, Teresa Lowe, who I met ooh, a little bit more than a year ago yep. in James Wedmore's Inner Circle Mastermind. And I must admit, I did a little bit of cyber stalking of <laughs> Teresa <laughs> because she fascinated me this business that she had built from the ground up. And it was hugely successful in such a random area, but she was also like, we could totally geek out on TV stuff. Um, She was the producer of a, a really popular show over in America. And I felt like I had met a kindred spirit and I'm so glad she's in my life. And I'm so glad that she is here with me today to talk to us all about growing teams For our online businesses, Teresa, welcome to Keeping Business Real.
1: Uh, I'm so excited to be here, Lisa. Well, you know, I love you and we are kindred spirits because our businesses have some crossover in that one of my businesses, Living Homegrown, teaches people how to live farm fresh without the farm. So my people probably love your people who love my people. So (laughs) I think that's why we hit it off so fast. But yes, I'm just thrilled to be here to talk about team building. That's something that I had to learn the hard way. And I ended up pivoting my whole business into teaching people how to find, hire, and then lead their stellar A list team so that they could scale their business.
0: I just love a good pivot and going from teaching people (laughs) how to can. To teaching people how to grow A-list teams. I mean, it's got to be one of the best. And I know like, you know, we're all about keeping it real here. And you really struggled with this. You struggled Mm -hmm. with um, letting go of what is a very successful business and trying your hand at something new. But it was so obvious to me and everybody else in the inner circle that this whole area is your absolute zone of genius. So before we get stuck into the questions, I'd actually just love to know, because just before this, you know, we were talking about how you just like getting stuck into this area. You feel that you're a natural integrator, which over here in Australia, we would sometimes call project manager or online business manager or something like that. I know James and the whole Wedmore crew use the term integrator. And it just, it lights you up completely. It makes me want to crawl under a desk and <laughs> <ships>. <laughs> when I think about level of organization and all of that sort of stuff. So tell me a little bit about how you grew your business. You said you had to learn some lessons the hard way. I'd love to know your journey, I guess, from, I presume, solopreneur to having your own team.
1: Yes, it is kind of an unusual journey in that I was the co-executive TV producer for the top organic gardening show on PBS here in America. And a co-executive TV producer is actually an integrator, which is a major top-level project manager. So my job was to take the vision of the producer and make it happen. So, I was in charge of all of the shoots. I was in charge of the team. We would have a vision for what we wanted an episode to be. And I was out in the field making that episode happen. So, I absolutely have a natural brain of an integrator or a project manager. Um, my background is that I have a degree in engineering. So, I'm very much a logical, organized thinker. And so, when I see chaos, I want to organize it. And that's great for an integrator. But when I stepped into starting my own business, where I was teaching people how to can food, how to grow their own food, uh, all the things that I do in my real life, you know, I teach people how to make yogurt and all of that. When I started to teach that online as a business owner, I was struggling with getting help in my business. I was starting out as a solopreneur. I was doing everything and you very quickly get to the point when things take off that you need help in your business. So I would bring in help, but I was still wanting to manage everything because that's my natural tendency. When I finally realized that the problem was me, (laughs) I had to really dial into, okay, I know how to manage because I've done it. I did it for nine years as a TV producer, but I now have to step into a different role and let other people manage themselves. So I created a team where everybody on the team is self-managed. And I had to really work at it. I made some mistakes, but as I learned along the way, I started to see that other people in our space have a lot of the same problems. Maybe they do have a visionary personality, but they didn't know how to bring on or find the right people They didn't know how to set up things so that the team could self-manage and they didn't have to take care of the team. The team took care of themselves. And so I started teaching it kind of on the side and it became part of my one-on-one coaching. And you're right, for a year, I was doing both. Uh, All of 2018, I had my living homegrown business and I had my coaching and group coaching programs where I was teaching people how to find and build a team. But the thing is, as fun as it is to do all of my things with living homegrown and all of the gardening and bread baking and yogurt making, I found that it was so much more impactful when I had someone who is a struggling business owner who really had reached a ceiling because they didn't have a team behind them. When they got that team, their life completely changed. And their business took off. And I started getting these letters from people saying, you changed my life. And I don't think I ever got a letter <laughs> that you changed my life from the bread recipe that you gave me, although I'm sure somebody might think that. But I really realized how much more impact I could have on people if I helped them build the team and learn how to do what I had done. So I completely pivoted my business last year and switched over to helping people build their teams. And it's been really, really rewarding.
0: It's just one of the things that I hear all the time, Teresa. People always want to know, how did you find? I've got Mel is my business manager, my integrator, and she completely changed my business. But she has had to put up with so much junk from me because when she first entered the business, it was complete chaos. And it's so interesting to hear you say the role that you took on when you were making TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I had my TV show, <laughs> I was the talent. Like I went and got sponsorship for it. I loved um, creating relationships with people who wanted to be involved in the program. I loved working out who we were going to be interviewing, creating stories around that. I loved going to shoots. I loved doing the interviews. I loved all of the things that for me were just natural and fun. My, my desk was a complete mess and I hired a producer because like, I didn't want to create run sheets. I didn't want to have to think about the deadlines or when the editors needed certain things by to be able to make our um, show appear every Friday. I was 100% in the zone of the visionary and seeing things kind of come to life. And in my own business, that is what I've done. Give me a webinar to create, I am there. But, you know, put all the pieces in the back end to be able to make that (laughs) webinar actually happen, no can do. (laughs) And what I recognised very quickly was I didn't have the time, the patience or the care factor to learn all the different programs and technology and all of those sorts of things. Uh, I could see that that was where I was holding myself back. So, before I felt ready, I hired someone to step in as a bit of an all rounder in my business. And then she moved on to do different types of work, and Mel came in and she was an all rounder. And the process of us working together the last few years has been about getting her more into her zone of genius, hiring people underneath her to be able to help support the work that she's doing. But I found like, this is not something I was trained in, Teresa, Like this is, I'm just so grateful that she's a freaking rock star who's been able to self-manage herself. And she also kind of manages me because Mm -hmm. that's what I need. So I just feel very blessed that she came into my life and I don't really feel qualified to tell people how to hire an amazing team because it just all kind of happened in this crazy way. So I would love to ask you, when people are looking for that person, either their first hire or that integrated role that is just so pivotal in online businesses, what are some of the mistakes that you see people doing and how can we kind of circumvent that? Because let's face it, hiring the wrong person, it's happened to me before, can be a very, very,
1: very costly mistake. Absolutely. And not only costly, but emotional because you invest all this time to get them geared up and they start breaking everything down that you built. So definitely it can be devastating from emotions and from cost. But one of the most common mistakes, and I, everybody makes this, it's, I think, probably because it's kind of ingrained from corporate when people are thinking about hiring. What they do is they hire people looking at their resume for certain skills rather than hiring someone for their characteristics. Mm -hmm. And the reason I tell people it's more important to hire for characteristics is because in the online space, we're doing some really unusual things. It's not a common area that people have a lot of experience with. And we use a lot of tools that people have never heard of before. And those tools are always changing. You know, we might be using one thing for a lead page this month, and in six months, we might be changing to something else. And there's always some new tool or some new thing that we want to use in a launch. So that's kind of always evolving. And when we look at a resume, we end up picking someone, let's say we want to have someone that has experience with landing pages. And we're only looking at that one thing. They may be a landing page ninja, but they won't really fit with our personality in the way that we work. Maybe they don't really have the same core values that we have. Maybe they are really, really good at landing pages, but they're not so good at being responsive or they're not so good at being fully committed to what we're working on. And so many people will tell me, I can't find good people. Well, I can tell you there are tons of good people out there. Really, the problem is that they're not finding the right fit for what they value. So instead of hiring for skills on a resume, I tell people to first sit out and determine what are the core values that you hold for your company? What are some things that you find are really important to you? such as integrity or being of service, things like that, that you want every employee to exemplify. You do that first. And then when you're hiring someone, you're checking the boxes to make sure that when you're interviewing them, that they have those same core values. And you're also looking for certain characteristics for the different roles. For instance, if you want to hire someone for let's say customer service, Maybe you have uh, tickets come in and you want to have someone take that off the plate of you or someone else in your business, and so you're looking for a customer service person. Well, you want that person to be more of a feeler and have empathy for people, uh, be able to put themselves in their shoes so that when someone comes with a complaint, they can say, oh, I'm so sorry that happened. Let me fix that for you. Let me take care of it. Versus someone else who might be very cold hearted and would be just kind of too bad, you're out of luck. And so those characteristics are really what we want to find rather than say, I want to go out and find someone who has experience in customer service. I can pull someone who has no experience in customer service. And if they have the characteristic of empathy, then I know they'll do a good job doing that particular role. So don't hire for skills. Pick the characteristics that are most important for that role and make sure that the person that you're hiring shares your core values of what's important so that they can represent your company and everything that they do.
0: And that is so important. I remember deciding to outsource my inbox and Mm -hmm. nothing felt more personal to me at the time. Like, you are on the front lines of this business. You are, if someone is reaching out via email and they don't have a good experience, to me that felt like jumping off a cliff in my business <laughs> to be able to outsource that. But finding someone who absolutely knows how to speak to people and how to write with respect and not get triggered and, um, and to file things away and handle all of the things. Was a huge load off my shoulders, but you're right. It has to be the right person, not someone who's like I have 20 years experience in a blah blah blah. It's like, but are are you small steps? Are you yes. someone who I could have be, um, you know, the voice of this company when we interact via email? It felt very personal, and I love that. I love that you said hiring for those characteristics. But how would you recommend that people find those out? Uh, which characteristics they want. Yeah. It, how well, they, be, Yeah. But I guess we all have ideas of the type of things, you know, type of characteristics that, that we might want people to have in different roles. But when you're
1: interviewing, is there
0: testing that you can do? Like how, yes. how might people go there?
1: Yeah. So first of all, let's back up a little bit with core values. When you're trying to figure out what core values you want, I tell people to think back to maybe someone they know or they've worked with or maybe someone who they have hired in the past who was like the perfect employee and you write down how you would describe them because a lot of the things, words you would use to describe them could be core values, but they may also be characteristics. Mm -hmm. So it might be they had integrity, they were empathetic, they were very timely, they were responsive, they were driven, things like that. Then when you're looking at hiring someone, you have to think of what role am I bringing them in for? So we've talked about if someone's for customer service, I definitely want them to have a friendly personality. I would want them to have empathy. But if I'm hiring someone as an integrator or a project manager or someone who's going to be overseeing all the things in my company, I'm looking for a little bit different characteristics. I want someone who's super organized, like beyond organized. I want someone who is very, very detailed oriented. I want them to catch when the T's aren't crossed and the I's aren't dotted. So what I do, if it's something like that, let's say detail oriented is one of the things, then I do set up tests when I'm hiring someone. And what I recommend to people is, That they set up what I call a gauntlet. So you put out a job posting. And one of the things for being detail oriented is that you have them respond to you in an email. And you say that they must use a specific subject line when they respond. Mm -hmm. And you'll be surprised how many people don't do that. But if they're detailed oriented, they definitely will catch that you said, make sure you respond with this exact subject line. And if they can't do that, they're not detail oriented. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) So that's like the first test, right? When they respond. The second thing that you can do is when they do respond, I ask them to take some personality tests. Because for every role that I'm hiring or one of my clients is hiring for, there are certain characteristics that we're going to be looking for. So if they take a personality test, we are immediately checking to see if they're leaning towards those characteristics. Now, I'll say right off the bat, the personality test, it's not like they have to meet this certain personality or we aren't going to interview them. It's not like that at all. It's just giving us more insight into how they are because some people will take the test one day and they'll get a different results than they will another day. It's just another indicator that will help us when we're doing interviewing to see if their personality will mesh with our personality. So it's not at all like end all, beat all. It just gives us another puzzle piece to consider when we're interviewing. But then beyond that, I do have them go through some tests. So for instance, I might ask them to create a, you know, we have a lot of people that we're screening. So we would like everybody to create a PDF from this Word document just to see how they handle the project. And in that Word doc, we'll have some misspelled words. And I didn't ask them to proofread it, but we'll see how many people come back and say, by the way, in paragraph three, there's two misspelled words. (laughs) And that tells me that they're very detail-oriented. The people who actually do the test it shows that they want the job and they're more of a go-getter, they're more invested. So for each person that any of my clients are hiring, we set up a very specific gauntlet that will be testing some of the characteristics that are most important. And then if someone makes it all the way through the gauntlet, then they get to the interview stage and we know so much about them that it really helps the CEO or visionary narrow down what types of things to ask and what to look for in answers when they're interviewing. So it's really helpful.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh. I love all these little ninja ideas. (laughs) So good. But this is a thing, Teresa. This is why last year in a circle, we were like, Teresa, people need to know this stuff. I don't know how to do these things. And it's such a <laughs> a missing piece, I think, in our world because none of us are really coming to this knowing the details. Most of us just care about helping people and getting our message out there and changing people's lives and doing all those sorts of things. But the actual running a business thing, it's really important.
1: It is. <laughs> it's, actually, yeah.
0: it's actually, it's a huge, huge piece of the puzzle. And getting the right people onto your teams is just massive. So next I wanted to ask you, because I know this is the thing and is that I've definitely found. When I was trying to find someone to fill in for Mel while she had her baby, there were quite a few red flags, but I didn't necessarily see them as that in the beginning. But the person who came on was very much just did the jobs, and there wasn't a level of ownership about the work. And I like how you talk about giving people tasks versus giving them a responsibility. So can yes, you, can you just talk a little
1: bit about that and the difference it can make in your business? Absolutely. And it's actually the other way around. I tell people to hand out responsibility, and don't hand out tasks. So this was a mistake that I made. As I was bringing on virtual assistants, and I would say, here, make this PDF, or here, set up this landing page. And they would go do the thing and come back and say, okay, next. And I suddenly found myself trying to come up with work for each one of the people at the beginning of the week, and I was managing them. And that was when the light bulb moment came on. And I'm like, I should not be handing out tasks. I should be handing out responsibilities so that they're really responsible for projects. So for example, with my podcast, instead of handing someone a couple of tasks to do in order to get the podcast out the door, I gave someone the responsibility. They were in charge of my podcast top to bottom. And that was their role and their responsibility in that was their job was to make sure that the podcast got out the door. My part was to record everything mm-hmm. else they had to make sure happened. So that took me out of the picture. And one way to think about it is if you think, okay, what if in six months, I wanted to take a one month vacation with my family, and we're going to be in a place where we have very limited cell service and will be unavailable really for several weeks or a month. What would I need to have in place so that everything would keep running without me? Well, the things you need to have in place is other people being responsible for things getting out the door. You need to have systems and processes that they're following, but also some checks and balances. So for instance, even when I first started giving out responsibilities, I kept checking over everything. Like, Okay. And the final step is gets approved by Teresa. right? And I had that on all of my processes and very quickly in that stage, I was the bottleneck because if I didn't get it approved, everything came to a screeching halt. So I changed it so that if something really did need to be looked over, you know, proofread or whatever, I have my now integrator proofread something and vice versa. So that if I was out of the picture, I was on vacation or away, everything keeps running. The business keeps running because someone else can read it over. So now they all work together and it's like, oh, hey, I just did this PDF. Could someone proofread it? And it's not me. And so now my podcast, I literally give them the name of someone that I want on the podcast. They set it all up and schedule it. And I show up and record it. And it goes out the door without me ever having to check or look at anything because there's always someone proofreading someone else. So that's our goal. That is what we really want to do is set everything up so that everyone has a responsibility and we're not handing out tasks and managing those tasks. Instead, we're just leading the group.
0: I love this. And do you know what I found one of the most thrilling things is watching people who work with me just step into their own awesomeness. And mm. when you watch them grow and trust themselves also to be able to make the call and you hand it over to them, they just keep rising, 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 rising. It's, ah. I just love that people can come in and own their work, take pride in it. And also I think this is the other thing is I'm kind of cool with mistakes that they happen. There's things that don't go right sometimes or a missing link or this or that the other. And I just I have such little care factor about Mm -hmm. that because I know if I was doing it or if I was doing a particular part of it, I'd be making mistakes as well. And I think that being able to release the control of perfection, which we can't do anyway as we grow a business and attempt to do all the things is a really important part of the process. Of building a
1: team. Oh, it's key. It's so, so key. And in order for us to let our team members have responsibility, we have to let them know it's okay if you make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. And the thing to make it feel safer for us is to make sure that there are some safeguards in there, like your website's all backed up. Maybe you have a backup copy of some of those videos that are super important, things like that. Because we have a saying in our team that it's always going to happen that someone could crash the bus. We know that could happen. And I remember one time I got a message from the person that I had hired on as my podcast manager, and she texted that she had crashed the bus. And she's like, I think I just crashed the bus. And she thought she had like made the whole website go down. <laughs> and she actually had not. But for that moment, She was panicking and it was funny. I was not. I was like, I know she couldn't have made the whole website go down. And even if she did, it's backed up. So it's not going to be the end of the world. I don't feel there is anything that any of them could do that would be like just a devastating situation. So it's once I really articulated to them that it's okay if you make mistakes and you really can't crash the bus, you know, you might get some fender benders, but you can't crash the bus. We're totally resilient, and we'll be totally fine, no matter what happens. And that I trust them—that's very empowering yes, to them. Yes,
0: yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, because when we get to the point where we do hire, it's like you're coming on board because I think you're awesome. I trust you with this role, and I trust you in my business. And I think communicating that is a really powerful thing. I don't yes. want to be troll freak in my own business. But you know what I did struggle with? Let's move on to my next question for you. <laughs> okay. Is um, my obvious scatterbrain And I can remember hiring someone to try and help me create some systems very early on in my business. And I basically just did not do what she wanted me to do. My belief was that my business was growing. My business was successful because everything was spontaneous. Everything was coming through me. There was a level of chaos that allowed for creativity. That was 100%. And so I resisted, resisted, resisted systems. And I look back now and think, Wow, Lisa, how much (laughs) easier your life is now that there is systems. And I've got to be honest, I wasn't necessarily the one who created them. It became very obvious where we were missing things. Even with this podcast, we don't have the proper systems in place right now for it all to be smooth. And it was literally a message that Mel sent 10 minutes before I started interviewing you was, "Yep, we need a better system here. But this is like her brain looks for the system. Her brain is like, where could I create a system? Whereas <laughs> my brain is like, what day is it today? <laughs> <laughs> but I can see how this made it very difficult for people to onboard into my business. I can see it what how hard it was. And for her especially. So I'd like to know from you. If people are just sort of starting out, or they know that there's going to be a higher soon, or they're ready to go to that next level, where are some areas, some sort of quick win systems that they could get set up that would allow it to be a smoother transition for them when the time comes to bring someone on board?
1: Yeah. So it's funny that, like, we were talking before we started recording about how our brains are very different because I do have an integrator brain, and you definitely have the visionary brain. And for me, when I see chaos, I want to create systems. That's like automatically the way my brain works. But I'm glad you ended up getting systems. First of all, I wanted to say that because the systems aren't really for you. They're for your team. And it makes everything so much smoother when you have systems, because, for instance, your integrator went on maternity leave. And when you have systems, someone else can step in and do those jobs and sometimes someone will get sick or they could have an accident and they could very suddenly be pulled out. And if there's no record of how to do something, it means we have to step in and do it. Or you know, maybe it's something we've never done before because someone else was always doing it. We have to fix it or step in and try and figure it out. So it can really disrupt us if we don't have systems. As to what system to set up first, I'd rather first say how you could have a system created so that you, the visionary, really don't have to do it. Yep. And that is if you have even one VA, one person on your team who is helping you, all you have to do is have something that let's say you're doing yourself right now. Let's say, for instance, you do a Facebook Live every Thursday and then it's kind of haphazard hazard what you do with it afterwards, but you really would like to have that content repurposed. And sometimes you do it, sometimes you don't, and there's no real system for it. All you have to do is record yourself doing what it is you want to have created into a system. So for example, if you do a Facebook Live, then you want to have one of your team create uh, Instagram posts from what you said. And you go on Facebook and you give the three top tips for whatever. Then you record, you hit record on whatever you use. It could be Jing, it could be Loom, it could be ScreenFlow, any way that you can just record your desktop and you go through step-by-step what someone could do with that Facebook Live. So they could go in and they could download it and then they could create a transcript. They could go to a transcripting service and create a transcript. Then they can go through that transcript and pull out the three tips that you gave. And right there, you have three Instagram posts. Then they could go into Canva or whatever you use for graphics and they could create a graphic to go with those three posts. So you just record yourself going through the process. So you only have to do it one time. And -hmm. then you give the recording to whoever works for you, your VA, and anyone on your team that is working for you. And they create the step by step process. Step one download the Facebook Live. Step two, Get a transcript made. Step three, go through and pull out whatever could be put into an Instagram post. So you can see how, yes, it means you have to slow down long enough to record yourself going through the steps, but you only have to do it once and you'll never have to do it again. And someone else can create the process for you or for the team.
0: Yeah, and it really is as simple as that. It's just like, just get down on either, you know, like using Loom or something like that, explaining mm-hmm. what's going on or write it out
1: and just what you do. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. Yes. So if you for the very first one, if there's something that you're doing every week and you really don't want to do it anymore, record yourself doing it. Mm-hmm. And you can just record, just say, okay, I'm gonna go do the thing, hit record and you just go through it. Someone can watch that and now they have a process. Even if they don't write it out they can always watch the video and see how to do it.
0: Yeah, it's so good. Yes, I absolutely love it. This is, that's what Mel has done very well for us because I didn't even know what I was doing really. <laughs> I just throw things at her and then she started to create all the systems um, in the back end and it's super powerful. I love that. And it's just such an easy thing for everyone to do. Even if you feel like you're not ready to hire yet, just start doing this for little pieces once or twice a week. So you start and just keep the files on a Google Drive or something like that so that when it does come time, you've already done a lot of the work. uh, And someone can just come in and do it for you or you can hire someone to create process documents for you, um, SOPs, whatever you call them, so that when someone does come in, they can follow that checklist. and that's, it's already sitting there for you. So, cause I do believe it can feel like a bit of a mountain sometimes to climb, to bring someone onto the team. And most of us are just, well, at that stage, when you really feel like your business is growing and you can't manage all the things yourself to create time and space, to be able to do the onboarding feels near impossible. So if you've done a lot of that work beforehand, it would be helpful.
1: Um, Yeah, exactly. And it can be just one or two things that you get started and that gives that person who you hire something to do right out of the gate. They can follow the process and they can create the process for you.
0: Yes, I love it. Okay, last thing I wanted to talk to you about, Teresa, and we kind of touched on this before, is about different leadership styles. So something that I have recognized, you know, in the beginning, I felt like a blogger, who had started to earn revenue from an online course. I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, (laughs) And I certainly didn't see myself as CEO or as a business owner. But as the business has grown, I've definitely, that's definitely changed. But I'm not attending leadership seminars or how to build a successful company kind of things, you know, that you might get in corporate or that if you have an in real life business, it just feels like it's kind of a missing conversation here is who are you being to lead this company and what style are you bringing and how is that informing who you might need to support you? So I'd love you to just shed a bit of light on different types of leadership styles. So people might be able to hear themselves in this and be able to then recognize how this is sort of impacting how they're growing their business, or why they might not even be doing the hiring, all of those things.
1: Yes. So this is so, so key. I read so many leadership books when I was first trying to build my team a couple of years ago. And in corporate, they talk about all the different leadership styles and there were three different styles that I really feel every online business really needs. And so I modeled my team this way. And that is that there's first of all, there's the visionary. And that's what we've been talking about this whole time, the CEO, the person who has the vision for the company. And that person is kind of setting the tone or the lighthouse destination for the whole rest of the team and for the company. But there's a second piece, and that's the second person that we were talking about the integrator or the chief project manager. They have what's called an operational style of leadership. And that's actually my natural style. I had to learn how to step into the visionary role and let go of being the operational leader. But an operational leader, if you have the visionary as the lighthouse, the operational leader is the person who is really lighting the path right in front of the rest of the team going towards that lighthouse. So we have the lighthouse in the distance. We have a path that the visionary has chosen for how we're going to get there. And the operational person or the operational leader is just lighting that pathway and making sure that everyone behind her or him is on that path going in the same direction towards the lighthouse. And then the third style is the tactical leadership. And tactical leaders are really the ones, the action takers taking the steps. They're really looking at just the steps in front of them. They're the people who check the boxes off. They're the people who have like, these are the four things I need to get done. Check, check, check. They're not really looking out into the future at the lighthouse. They're just looking at their feet and the next step that they need to take. And I say tactical leader, that even though that is really someone who is on the team, but not actually in what we would normally think of as a leadership role, like the visionary, because on our teams, we are creating everyone to have responsibilities. They are leading whatever project they've been put in charge of, whether it's your podcast, whether it's customer service, they are the leader of their project. So they're tactical. They may only be looking at, okay, I'm in charge of the Facebook group. I'm the Facebook community manager. They're only looking at their tasks that they're in charge of, but they are still part of the whole vision because the operational manager, the integrator is making sure that everything that they're doing is still part of the bigger picture that they're heading down to. So when you think about what type of leader you are naturally, You may be, like me, be a natural operational manager, someone who can see systems in their head, or you may be a tactical person where you're just someone who wants to sit and check the boxes. But if you want to be the CEO, you absolutely have to step into the visionary role. You have to have a vision for the company, for where you're headed and what you're doing. And a part of us you can be more than one of these things but we all have a natural tendency to what we normally just want to do but if you're going to be the ceo and you're and obviously if we're running the company that is what we want to be we have to step into the visionary role and let go of maybe operations or let go of being tactical and really step into what the vision is that we're heading to what is it we want to create and where are we taking the rest of the team And so there is a mindset shift that has to happen with that. But it's so, so important that you have a little bit of everything on your team and you be the visionary.
0: It's so fascinating, isn't it? And I reckon that everybody listening is like, I think I'm tactical. I really like setting to-do lists. I like ticking off the boxes. I love creating spreadsheets. Or
1: can I still be? visionary? Can I still be a CEO? Oh, absolutely. And that's the thing is it's a leadership skill. That's what I'm finding from all the people that I work with and all the interviews that I do. It typically is that they are one of the three and they're having a little trouble stepping fully into the visionary. Even if they have visionary tendencies, they may just want to be a visionary and not lead the team. Maybe they're like me, and they're just having trouble letting go because they're more operational, so they want to keep their hands and everything. They keep thinking to themselves, "You know what? I could show everyone how to do this, but it'd just be faster if I did it myself. Well, it's really not faster if you do it yourself because you're taking away from what you should be doing so that's why I say so much of this. It's a mindset shift, and in every single company and every single CEO that I've helped. They think that they just need to find the right people and they absolutely do, but they also need to work on themselves. They need to work on letting go, letting someone else step into their greatness, like what you talked about, or stepping more into leading the rest of the team by giving everyone else the courage and the capability and the confidence to step into those roles. So it means being a leader of the team. And that's why I I say that I teach people how to find and how to lead their team. And people don't think about the leading part, but you have to be the visionary. No matter what your normal tendency is, you absolutely can step into the visionary and you really, you're doing it anyway, because you have a vision that you want to start a company. So you're already doing it. You just have to let go of some of those other tendencies that you have. And let your team take over for you, so that you can really impact people by staying in your zone of genius and leading everyone on the same path towards what your vision is. Teresa, I could just (laughs) eat this interview. I really could (laughs) because it's
0: so—it's just such an important conversation, and that's why I wanted to invite you on. Is because you know sometimes it can feel so secondary. When we're actually just thinking about bringing in revenue and our next launch and why that webinar didn't convert or, you know, showing up on social media and all those types of things. But you and I know there are people in a circle mastermind there with James who have great businesses, but don't have their people sorted. And when you don't have the right support, it can absolutely paralyze your business growth. So it sort of feels secondary to the things that I think everybody is thinking about a lot of the time, but it's fundamental in my opinion.
1: Absolutely. And you were in a very unusual situation because you already knew that you didn't want to do the operational things. That's just brilliant. That's awesome that you got <laughs> someone in there. It is because you got someone in there right away. Cause you're like, I don't want to do those things. So you got someone to do them for you. I think most of us resist bringing someone in because we start thinking, well, I can't hire anyone because I haven't made enough money to really hire. Mm -hmm. We never feel ready. We're never going to be ready. But even if you only get someone on for just a couple of hours and you use those hours for money-making activities so that you can give them more hours, that's how you start building up your team. You can start out slow for sure but you have to have help.
0: It just comes to the point where you absolutely need help. And I guess always in my mind, I thought, I don't know, I didn't want the slow train. (laughs) I just (laughs) wanted the fast train. I knew what I wanted. I had momentum. And I just thought if my business can cover, this was my goal in the first year. I thought if I can pay someone to help me do all the things that I don't want to do, if I can have the kids in family daycare two days a week, and if I can have a house cleaner once a week, then my business is the success. I didn't have any expectation of my own income. I just knew I wanted to grow this thing and I knew I couldn't do it by myself. The real reason, Teresa, was because I had a newborn baby and two toddlers. Like I had three kids, four and under, and I had my baby's nap times to work and after they all went to sleep at seven o'clock. So it was a sense that I was onto something and I think a lot of people don't trust that they are and that I literally cannot get this done within the hours that I have. So I'm going to need help. And I think for people who, are, who have time to tinker, who have time to make things perfect, who have time to do everything they think themselves, It's almost works against you because if you've only got two hours a day, (laughs) you quickly realize the things that you can do and the things that somebody else can do. That was always in my mind. I'm like, is this a Lisa activity? Is this something that I am absolutely required for? If it's not, can somebody else please help me? So I think I had a few things going on for me that really moved me in this direction. And I tell people all the time that it's the reason I was able to do so much. It's just like getting help at home. You can have a tidy house. You can have dinner on the table at exactly the same time every night. You can have fresh sheets on the bed every week. If you can't do it on your own, get help. If that's really important to you. Do you know what I mean? Like just just call,
1: get help. Yeah, I'm so glad you're talking about this because I think it's something that people don't talk about. Like they just think that, We are doing every single thing. And when I hired someone to do my laundry, like, I don't even remember where I heard it. Someone said to me, like, if you could take one thing off your plate at the house, what would it be? And it was cleaning the house, but I already had a cleaner. I already had someone coming in and cleaning. I was still doing laundry. And I have two boys. They have a lot of laundry (laughs) with sports. I think they give girls a run for the money, but with all the sports they were in, like, their laundry basket was overflowing. And so I hate doing laundry. So that was the second thing that I got brought in is had someone come in and do my laundry every week. Holy cow, that made a difference in my life. It was, at first I felt like, well, this is frivolous, but when the amount of time that it freed up was huge and my mental space because it was something I hated. So it gave me a relief that I didn't have to do it and that my kids had clean clothes for school. So when it's something like that, like, I think that's a business expense. it 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 frees you up. And so people don't talk about that, but I'm really glad you mentioned that. It's very important. It's so important. Now, I know that you have a
0: really cool assessment that people can take because I know people will be listening now and they're like, oh my gosh, give me all the growth. Let's make this happen. But (laughs) then they might be unsure what they actually need right now. So can you just tell everyone where to go and to get the team readiness assessment?
1: Yeah, I created the assessment because one of the things that people would say is either they would say, I have no idea what I would bring someone on to do if they didn't have anyone on their team. Or if they already had a team, they would say, I'm not sure if I'm ready for an integrator or a chief project manager. So Mm -hmm. that is what the team readiness assessment will tell you for both cases. It will help you determine what sort of things you could bring on someone to help you with and if you're ready for an integrator or not. So to get the team readiness assessment, you go to teamuproadmap.com and they can do it there for free.
0: Excellent. And we will put that link in the show notes as well. Thank you, Teresa. I could keep talking to you about this all day, Uh, (laughs) but where can people find you beyond that? They want to follow you and all your hints and tips that you're sharing on socials and stuff.
1: Yes. So they can find me on Instagram at Teresa Lowe. And that's T H E R E S A L O E. It's a weird spelling of low. So they can find me there on Instagram. They can also go to my website, TeresaLow.com. You have so much goodness to share. And I'm so
0: excited that you've made this pivot because people need your help. And I know you're helping people in programs. I know you're helping people one on one. This is your, the. You, you're doing the most extraordinary job and it's been amazing as your friend to watch you really take this on and rise into it. So thank you for the work that you're doing. Thanks for being amazing and for joining me on the podcast today.
1: Oh, thank you, Lisa. I was so happy to come on. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much.
0: Well, that is another episode of the Keeping Business Real podcast done and dusted, but make sure that you don't miss out on knowing when I release the next one. Be sure to become a subscriber over on your podcast app of choice and make sure to leave a review. I would love to know what you're thinking of the podcast and what you'd like to hear in the future. Now, the next thing you need to do is head straight to lisacordaff.com. I have an amazing cheat sheet there waiting for you to help you overhaul your marketing mindset. Let's face it, sometimes the selling part of business is the part that feels most icky. I want to help you out and I want to help you grow your business in an authentic way that feels really, really good to you. LisaCorduff.com for your free cheat sheet and I'll see you in the next episode.